a world of information, advice and support available 24-7. The best way to stay current with great ideas. Love and support. Uplifting and reassuring. A constant source of inspiration and positive thinking. Like a staff room without cynics. Gives you a sense of belonging. An unlimited resource. A very supportive bunch of like-minded people. The reason I'm where I am today. A source of mad sanity in the crazy world of teaching. Feel the love. You're listening to the MFL Twitterati Podcast, the podcast celebrating the voices of language teachers from around the world. This is episode 10, the Mandarin Chinese special. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the MFL Twitterati Podcast, the podcast aimed at language teachers wanting to find new ways of enhancing language learning with and without the use of technology. My name is Joe Dell, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, podcast buddy, partner in crime, Noah Geisel. So how's it going, Noah? So fantastic, Joe Dale. How are you doing? Well, uh, we still haven't got any heating, but apart from that, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I know last episode you shared you were going to travel internationally, give a keynote in Abu Dhabi. How did that all go? Yeah, absolutely. That was um, a couple of weeks ago now, start of October. I was invited to be one of the keynotes along with Alex Rawlings at the BSME, which stands for British Schools of the Middle East, MFL Conference at BSAC, which is the British School of al Kuparat. And uh, that was absolutely amazing. I gave um, the keynote as well as two workshops and I had the opportunity to meet lots of really, really interesting people. And uh, here's Charlie Davis, the head of languages at BSAC, to tell us a little bit more about the event. Hello, Joe. This is Charlie Davies from the British School al Kubarat in sunny Abu Dhabi. I hope you're well. So having visited last year the languages show in London, I thought, how can we recreate something similar here in the UAE? So a few weeks back, we hosted the inaugural BSME MFL conference. Day one MFL and day two was for Arabic, for non-native learners. It was so good to see over 90 delegates on each day for the Middle Eastern region. We're also very lucky to have had some fantastic guest speakers who, apart from yourself, Joe, also included Alex Rawlings at 87 History, Kate Jones, Taufit Jakawi, and my school's Google leader, Mr. Michael Williams. Now, whereas these days, there's loads of online CPD, bloggers, social media, MFL, Lumerers, and so on, face-to-face dialogue is surely more impactful. Um, there's a real buzz on both days, and we hope that this conference uh, served as a springboard for sharing of best practice, networking, and raising the profile of our very much maligned subject. If this conference has gone some way to inspire MFL teachers to, in turn, inspire young linguists, then it's been a massive success. Please follow us at MFL on Twitter, and all the best to all the MFL Twitterati out there. If you are passing by Abu Dhabi, pop in and say mahaba. Thank you. Thanks ever so much to Charlie there for giving us a little bit more information about the conference. It was really amazing to be there. It was also lovely to hear Michael Williams talk as well, who's Willow Tweets on Twitter. That's W-I-L-L-O-W-T-U-I-T-S, who's a real Google nerd, I suppose you could say. Great person to connect with on Twitter. So I'd really encourage everyone listening to this to do that, because uh, not only is he a lovely person, he knows a lot about Google tools uh, and he's a languages teacher as well. So all good. The other thing that I wanted to mention in relation to international travel was I had the opportunity um, a week ago now to go to Amsterdam. I had an amazing time taking part in an Erasmus Plus funded uh, project, which was organized by Ton Conrad from Holland, who I've known for a number of years via Twitter, and I've met face-to-face a few times. He's invited me out a couple of times to do 
courses for him in uh, Utrecht and in Amsterdam. And uh, it was a four-day course, some of which I led. And um, the group was from Lithuania, from Belgium and from Spain. And we just had an amazing time chatting about different tools, looking at different apps. And I've got a little bit of audio from a podcast we recorded as part of a workshop that we did using the Anchor app, which I'd really encourage anyone to, to check out. It's a really cool and free way of recording and hosting your audio for your podcast. And here's Mikael talking a little bit about the course and his reflections on what we got up to that week. Here we are live in Amsterdam in the staff room. And I'm with my lovely friend, Mikael, who's going to talk a little bit about his experience so far this week, looking at mobile technologies in the classroom. Over to you, Mikael. How have you found it so far? Uh, well, yeah, um, I actually love this course. It's uh, way better than expected. We are learning so many apps and uh, we now have many ideas also to bring the, the apps back home and to teach our uh, teachers to use these apps and to improve learning. It's fantastic. What's been your favorite app so far? Would you say? I know it's difficult to say, but maybe the one that's really created an idea in your head that you're definitely going to try out in the classroom. Yes, I think my favorite app so far is Padlet because I had no idea it, it existed and it's uh, the best way to put all the, the students work together and to make all this material accessible for our students so they can share it and also comment on, on each of these products. That's superb. I'm a big fan of Padlet as well. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And I hope our listeners enjoy this podcast as well. So thanks ever so much to Mikel uh, for his little bit of audio there. Interestingly enough, uh, Mikel is spelled M-I-Q-U-E-L as opposed to M-I-G-U-E-L. And I asked him about that. And of course, that's the Catalan spelling because he's from that area of Spain. So that was really, really interesting. Anyway, moving on. How have you been, Noah? I've been just super mega movie, fantastic Joe Dale, uh, just tons <laughs> of awesome stuff inspired me every single day. Uh, I also had the opportunity to do a little international travel. I got to go to the, the country of Colombia to give a keynote along with another amazing uh, language teacher, Diego Ojeda, was one of the folks. There were people from all over Colombia, Chile. It was just humbling to be included in a conference where you know the professor from Chile's talk had Educación 4.0 in the title, and you know just to be able to share a stage with people like that was just amazing. And uh, you know, I, I know I shared with you that I was terrified about getting up on stage and giving a talk in Spanish in front of people who were not Spanish students for the first time. Uh, but luckily, it went really well. The audience was very accommodating uh, of Spanish not being my first language. And uh, it was just uh, honestly one of the top, you know, three, four, five experiences of my entire adult life. Well, that's absolutely amazing. I remember following it on Twitter, and I was really proud of you, Noah, joking apart that uh, you got to do that. I think that's really, really amazing. So well done ever so much. Yeah, it's scary when they, you know, you're hoping that there's a podium up there so you can hide the shaking in your knees. But uh, it it was just me on stage and everybody just got to see me being completely freaked out. But it, it really went really well. And, and just lovely people in Bucaramanga, Colombia. And, and I, just an amazing life experience, Joe. That's so lovely to hear, Noah. Really amazing stuff. Well done again. Just fantastic. Now, normally at this point in the episode, as people know that our regular listeners, we normally go straight into the radar section. But just before we do that, um, I wanted to play our listeners some audio from Rachel O'Riordan who works at the British Council. If um, you remember in the last episode, we had Vicky Amy's mum talking about the school exchange funding, which has been made available recently, particularly for disadvantaged um, children have the opportunity of going to a foreign country and to learning about the culture and learn some language as well. 
And what Rachel did, who I met recently at the e-twinning conference that took place in Nottingham, she recorded some audio with some of the teachers and some of the students on the Eurostar, interestingly enough, who took part of the course recently in France. And here is the audio from their reflections on how that went. This is Rachel O'Riordan from the British Council. You can find us on Twitter at schools underscore online. As part of a new school exchanges programme funded by the Department for Education, we held a seminar where a group of teachers and students from England and France spent a few days together planning trips for their schools. We asked them to talk about the experience. Hi, my name is Jennifer Airy from Greenfield Community College in Newton Aircliffe. We've been twinned with the College Eugène Varlin in La Havre. I'm a languages teacher, but the teachers that we've been joined with were SVT teachers, or Sciences de Vie et Terre. The seminar has really helped us. Um, we found that very, very quickly we got to know the people that we were working with, um, rather than being on a formal basis in both languages. So we spoke to them in French, they spoke back to us in English, and eventually a little bit of Franglais going on there. It really did take the formality away, and I think it was an essential part of the twinning process to be able to meet them in the initial stages. So I did a presentation with my school and my partner school, College Valan, and in this presentation I had to stand in front of a hundred people and explain how we were going to strengthen the connection between our schools. And before this I'd never have thought about talking in front of people, but now I feel much more confident about talking in front of people. One of the main things that I remember is how different the food was. For example, we had bread with every meal and the way you take your food from the self-service area and clean your own table is very different from many places in England. Another thing was the culture, but it was similar because from social media we had similar jokes like memes like hitting the wall. So we were bonding over things like dancing and we had dance parties in the corridor of our place of accommodation. Um, another thing that I enjoyed about this seminar is teaching French people colloquial terms from our area, like we taught them the word snazzy. So to encourage students from our school to go on this exchange, I'm going to just explain how much fun it was and how it's not as formal and serious as people thought and that it was just a great way to spend a week of my life. Just thank you so much to Rachel for sharing that audio. It's great to hear, especially from the young people reflecting on what they took away. And, you know, I, I think that a couple of takeaways for me for that, Joe, is that Learning happens anywhere, not just the four walls of the classroom, not just between the beginning and ending bell of the period that, you know, right there on the Eurostar train is an opportunity to capture learning, right? And that, you know, even things that is, you know, you might put it sound banal can actually be opportunities for young language learners to gain self-confidence to realize, wait. I was just able to effectively communicate in the target language with a native speaker. And I think that's just really powerful stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think the opportunity that the British Council and the government are giving to young people is just really fantastic. It just shows that by visiting another country, your horizons can be widened. And I think uh, it's just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant idea. And long may it continue. Absolutely, Joe Dale. I couldn't agree more. As language teachers, we all know the value and just vital importance of foreign exchange, travel, cultural, you know, understanding with people from other places. It just warms my heart to hear that the British Council and the government is, you know, really prioritizing this for language learners in your country. 
And speaking of French resources and learning in particular, MFL Twitter I podcast, as everyone knows, is sponsored by Linguiscope. And Joe, tell us about the brand new recently launched online bank of A-level French resources, thanks to Linguiscope. I would absolutely love to. So the new resource that Linguiscope has just put out is called Attitudes or Attitude in French. And it includes principal resources, listing activities, video resources, exam preparation material, and lots more. It has 25 topics covered in depth. Attitudes or Attitude is an indispensable resource for anyone teaching advanced level French. So for those people doing that, I would really encourage you, as Noah would as well, to check it out. And if you do want to check it out, head over to attitude.linguiscope.com where you can sign up for a free account to unlock Unit 1 of these resources. I'm going there right now. So Noah, I think it's time for the radar section. I know it's slightly delayed compared to other episodes, but let's jump straight in. What's been on your radar recently, Noah? You know, I'm going to pull out a tweet I saw from Alice Keeler, who is just an amazing thought leader in education and a super googly educator as well. And, you know, one of the things that she shared recently is a new add-on called Certifyum. And for anyone who's familiar with the add-on Flubaroo, it's, it's uh, by the same maker. And Certifyum, in short, allows an educator to create a quiz using a Google form and then automates the process for you to then have a student who successfully completes the quiz to receive actually a certificate in their inbox that gets emailed to them. So I think it's a way for us to kind of liven up a quiz and it also automates the process. You know, a lot of us have seen as educators how students love to get a, their test back with a sticker on it or, you know, a little hand-drawn smiley face. You know, this allows you to instantly give them a certificate and you can automate it across, you know, 175 students all at once. Wow, that sounds really cool. So for those listeners who haven't got a clue, well, two questions that come up when you were talking there. First one, how do you spell certify them? Because <laughs> that might not be obvious. And two, when you say an add-on, are you talking about an add-on in Google Forms or an add-on in Google Sheets? And how would you actually enable this? How would you get started if you wanted to put this into practice? Yeah, great question. In the website is certify and then EM. So almost like shortening the word them to M. So certifyem.com. And if you go to certifyem.com, they have a try it now page where you, without any commitment, sharing any of your information, can experience it on the student side where you take a three question quiz, you type in your information, and then it emails you both the results of your quiz and your own certificate. So you can see exactly how it will work on the student end and decide if it's for you. And then they also on that same certifyem.com homepage give you a one click option to go to uh, the Chrome store and go ahead and add that on to your Google Drive. And, you know, I think it's, as we've talked about, you know, with privacy and permissions, you know, I think one of the things that I started out the second I saw Alice tweet that's out from an immediate place of skepticism, but as soon as I saw that it was from the maker of Flubaroo, I had absolute confidence that this is going to be GDPR compliant and doing all the right things to be on the correct side of history when it comes to data privacy and usage. Fantastic. And then for those people who haven't heard of Flubaroo, could you maybe just mention what that is and how it works? Yeah, Flubaroo is also an add-on. That one's going to be a Google Sheets add-on. Similar to the quiz ideas, it helps you take automate processes basically and take quizzes that you create in forms and, and take the results as a spreadsheet and then almost allow uh, Google to work as a grade book for you. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. When I'm uh, doing workshops on Google Forms, I normally mention Flubrew as a way of making your own self-marking vocab sheet, which normally goes down very well. So I know some teachers, what they do is they'll set different uh, expressions they want the students to learn off by heart as homework. They then put all those questions into Google Forms and then Flubrew marks it for you, which is a great time saver for busy teachers. But now, as I think you just mentioned, you can also turn your Google Form into a quiz natively within Google Forms. And so you don't actually need Flubrew as you used to. Um, I think that when Flubrew first came out, it was really groundbreaking as a great way of saving time. But then since then, as Google normally do, they they update their their tools and services. And I think that probably, you probably would still say that Flubrew has had a few more features. But if you're just looking for a self-marking vocab test, then using the quiz form in Google Forms is a really nice way to go, I think. Yeah, I think that the folks who are still using Flubrew and really excited about it definitely fall into the power user camp. <laughs> And they're probably, like you said, using the tools native to classroom to do those basic kind of originally intended purposes. But you also have, you know, folks who are just amazing at hacking these things together. And so, uh, for example, at Kate Tolnoy is, is a friend and mentor of mine, and she helps me organize the Badge Summit Conference. And she actually uses Flubaroo for the speaker pages where people who are presenting at the conference will go and fill out their name, their bio, a little bit about their session, attach a headshot, and then she uses Flubaroo add-on to the Google Form in order to then generate a PDF of each speaker that we can then use to promote the sessions on social media as well as uh, populate the web page. And so just to, people hack things together the way they will, and, and some people do really amazing stuff with them. But this certify them, I think, is a really exciting thing when we think about how do we recognize students for their learning and achievement in ways that are going to be engaging and exciting to them. And, you know, they also, once they get that certificate, they own it. If they want to print it out, take it home, put it on the refrigerator, they can. If they want to add it to their portfolio that they're, or, you know, their online website about themselves, they can. And I think stuff like that is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. To give evidence of the student's achievement is incredibly important, I think. And as always, folks listening to this, we'll make sure that we put all the links and everything in the show notes. So you can check out the different tools that we mentioned so far and try them out in your own classroom context. Absolutely. And Joe, after that super extended radar moment for me, uh, what's on your radar right now? Well, on my radar at the moment is the Amazing Language Show. Fantastic event to see national speakers, which normally you'd have to pay to go and see, but you can see them absolutely for free. And uh, really, really is one of the highlights of my year, I must say. Um, I'm actually uh, speaking twice at the event on Saturday, or Super Saturday, as I like to call it. And um, I wrote um, an article for The Language Show, which is um, going to be put in the show notes for everyone to check out if you're interested, just detailing the sorts of content I'm going to be covering the talks. But I've got a little bit of audio right now from Jonathan Scott, the organizer of The Language Show, just to tell everyone why it's such a special event for language teachers. Hi, and uh, this is Jonathan Scott, organizer of The Language Show, and I've been asked to uh, do a couple of minutes on what the show holds in store for visitors this year. Uh, reminder, the show takes place at London's Olympia, Friday to Sunday, November the 15th to the 17th, and admission to the show and all the talks and activities that take place there are entirely free to all visitors. As this is the MFL Twitterati feed, many of its followers will be interested in the 42 CPD talks for language teachers, both those in primary, secondary, adult, further education and so on, that take place over the three days of the event. And many of the speakers are those that one might come across in some of the paid conferences that take place during the year. And of course, unique aspect of the language show is that we have 
a huge range of talks and seminars going on that are entirely free. So just get to yourself to London and then help yourself to what you may find of interest. So amongst many popular speakers this year, we have Joe Dale, of course, of uh, the Twitterati feed with uh, three talks, including one on new techie tips, Rachel Hawkes, Jennifer Wozniak, Nadine Chadia, Paco Fernandez, Annalise Gordon, many, many familiar names and a very wide range of talks with an emphasis on the Sunday for those in primary, but uh, a good spread across all three days. But in addition, we have language tasters in over 23 languages this year with Macedonian and Latin new languages. We have a wide range of talks just aimed at language enthusiasts in general from details of uh, sociolinguistics and um, protecting indigenous languages. And um, the full program is up on the website, languageshowlive.co.uk. And uh, we very much uh, encourage you to help yourself dive in and have a fun three days at Olympia or just one and come and meet fellow language enthusiasts. Yeah, thank you so much, Jonathan, for sharing that with us. And thank you for all you are doing to put on this amazing event and making it absolutely free for educators to attend, learn, grow and share together. Again, listeners, that is languageshowlive.co.uk. And the other nice thing about the language show is there's normally lots of takeaways as well. There's freebies and pens and badges and stickers and things like that. And I think that's an appropriate moment maybe to move on to our takeaway in the MFL Twitterati podcast. Over to you, Noah. What's your takeaway for this episode? Yeah, thanks so much, Jodio. My takeaway is all about the upcoming ACFL conference. Just as Language Show is the largest event in the UK, ACFL is the largest conference for language educators in the United States. We'll have coming up here in November somewhere around 8,000 language teachers from all over the world to say it on this year, Washington, D.C. And for my takeaway, I was actually able to catch up with the National Language Teacher of the Year from ACTFL 2018, Ying Jin, in order to share some of her thoughts for our Mandarin Chinese language teaching special. Awesome stuff. Let's roll the tape. Ying, thank you so much for joining us on the MFL Twitterati podcast. Do us a favor and just tell us just a quick couple things about yourself for our listeners. My pleasure to be here. My name is Ying, and I'm teaching Mandarin Chinese in uh, Cupertino High School in the center of the Silicon Valley. And it's such a pleasure to be here with Noah and everybody. Well, and we're really excited to have you. And for regular listeners of FFL Twitterati podcast, if you do not yet know Ying, you're in for a real treat. She was the national language teacher of the year for the entire United States two years ago. And Ying, we're doing a special this episode on teaching Mandarin Chinese. And so I thought you would be the perfect person to reach out to to really just ask it, do you, what tips you have for Mandarin Chinese teachers who are not native speakers? It's such a great question. I had the pleasure to work with uh, two student teachers from a Stanford education program, and I learned so much from them. And I think their perspectives are very different from native Chinese teachers, and we need to learn from them because they know how to you know, acquire the language from a non-native point of view. But I do realize that sometimes it's a challenge for them. Number one, to have the courage to teach Chinese, especially upper level classes, 
And number two, I actually just recently got a chance to talk to some native Mandarin teachers, and they told me that sometimes they have students in their classes who are native speakers or you know heritage students, and they're saying you need to have the courage to work with them. Especially, maybe in some situations, they might know more than than you. And one of them told me, you know, correcting their essays is such a you know big thing for me. I don't really know if what they put down there is right or wrong. How am I going to give them input to help them to improve? I totally understand that it's not easy, but I think this is my suggestion to you know this teacher. I said. Focus on content. Focus on big picture. Don't worry if just like is this grammar perfect? No, I think we're focusing on proficiency. That's the way to go. And、mm. another teacher, yeah, and another teacher shared with me. This is his first year teaching AP. Gosh, you cannot imagine how much time I have to put in preparing my lesson and those cultural topics. Do I know enough? I said that's okay. You know, this is the community. We learn together. You share what you know with your students, and you're going to learn from them. Have the courage to challenge yourself. That's really the thing I want to ask non-native Mandarin teachers to do. Well, I think that is just so powerful that you said that it's not just about. What non-native heritage Mandarin Chinese teachers need to、uh, learn from heritage teachers, but also that you you think that heritage teachers can learn from the non-native teachers as well. Absolutely, and I have so many stories to share. Once I had this native student teacher, and I asked him the question. I said, "How do you learn Chinese characters?" We all know it's not an easy thing, right?、Uh, he told me. You know, in English we have twenty-six letters, but for Chinese, maybe you can think this way. Chinese language has five hundred letters. In a way that I think this is what he want, wanted to say. Those fundamental basic characters you have to learn. It's something you just have to do. You cannot skip. But after learning those basic characters, you start to see this is a new character. But I see the left side of this new character. Is the same as that character I have already learned. It actually, this is his opinion. It becomes easier in a way because you start to you learn the component from Chinese characters and you start to mix and match. And that really gave me an eye opener for me. I never thought it that way. So what he told me actually helped me to think that we can definitely help our students to acquire this skill to identify. Components from the characters they have learned, what they are learning, and eventually direct them to the way to the idea that don't be panic. You're going to, <laughs> you know, actually scaffolding in a way, right? You learn based on what you have already learned. Oh, one hundred percent. And Ying, I just admire and respect and so value and appreciate your humility and, and grace. That here you are, this. Internationally recognized teacher, and the first thing you let us know is, "Hey, challenge yourself, and it's okay to still keep learning from everybody around you." Ying, thank you so much for taking the time to learn and share with us on the MFL Twitterati podcast. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Really important stuff there from the National Language Teacher of the Year, Ying. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. And Joe, what is your takeaway for this episode? 
Okay, so my takeaway for this episode is all around drawing, which I thought was uh, particularly appropriate for Mandarin Chinese and drawing characters. But any language teacher, I'm sure, will love this next tool, which I think not that many people know about, certainly in the UK. And it's been going down a storm in different workshops that I've been doing recently. So what is it? I hear you say it's sha-la-la. That's C-H-A-R-L-A-L-A. Essentially, what it is, it's a free tool for promoting speaking, vocabulary and grammar through personal drawings. And it was created by a language teacher himself, a guy called Chris Hammer from Chicago in the States. And we're now going to hear from Chris himself, plus three language teachers, a couple from the States and one from Scotland, telling us about how they're using it in their own language learning classrooms. Hello, I am Chris Hammer, and you can find me at XP on Twitter. I'm excited to share a platform with fellow world language educators that I designed and developed, charlala.com. One of the features is the draw room where students can draw online using a mobile device or a computer, and then teachers can project student drawings for full class conversations. It's a fun way to support weekend chats, story retells, and really any open-ended questions in the target language. Teachers and students can easily download individual drawings or a PDF that compiles multiple images from the draw room session. A game mode is also available where students compete to correctly guess what their classmates drew in the target language. Overall, the draw room provides a lot of opportunities for storytelling and comprehensible input, while also allowing students to be creative and express themselves. Please come try out the draw room and see more at charlala.com. And that's spelled C-H-A-R-L-A-L-A.com. Hello, my name is Cynthia Hitz, and I am at Sonrisa Del Campo on Twitter. I want to share with you the amazing website called charlala.com. One of the features of charlala.com is the draw room, and that's where students can draw on their iPads or on their computers and submit their drawings to the teacher then the teacher can project that drawing and talk about that drawing and describe it in the target language. The teacher can also download the student's drawings or create a PDF and download all the sketches on a PDF. I've used charlala.com to review a novel that we're reading. I've also used it for the students to sketch their answer to open-ended questions. But my favorite way to use charlala.com is to tell a story, to pause after two or three sentences, and then allow the students to draw what they have just heard in the story. And then I download a PDF of all their sketches to make a summary of the story. There's also a game mode in charlala.com in which the students can earn points by matching the sketches to either words, vocabulary words, or to sentences. The students like Charlala because they are active learners. Of course, they are always hoping that I choose their sketch to talk about and describe. As a teacher, I really like Charlala.com for the opportunities that it provides for rich conversation in the target language. And that conversation is visually supported by the sketches that the students made. So I encourage you to check it out, and I think you'll agree that it is a very useful site for the world language classroom. Hello, my name is Cara Jacobs, or on Twitter, Cara C. Jacobs. I'm a Spanish teacher in New Hampshire in the United States, and I am going to talk about Charlala, or Charlala, today. Charlala is a fantastic website that can be used in the world language classroom for a variety of things. My favorite thing that I used a lot this spring, and it really got us through the end of school, my students and I, 
was the draw room. So the draw room has two different options. Teachers can input sentences. So I use a lot of stories and we were also watching a television show in class. So I can input or I would input sentences about the story or about the characters. And then students on their devices, it's similar to other online games like quizzes or Quizlet Live or Kahoot. Students have to enter the draw room with a code that's projected. And then each student would get a sentence and they on their screens would see that sentence and then they would have to draw the sentence. So almost like they would have an online whiteboard. After time is up, the drawings of the students one at a time would be projected onto the board and then students on their screens would see all the sentences that I had put in there. So there might be 10 sentences. So they're reading. So they're getting a ton of input. They had to read all the sentences and decide which drawing was being represented. And then you would go through however many students there were. And sometimes it repeated, so we would end early. But it is super engaging, and the students really enjoyed it. And they were getting a ton of input reading those sentences. The other option that could be used for weekend talk is students just get a blank whiteboard. They have time to draw something, and then all of those images are projected up on the class to see. So this is similar to just those small whiteboards, but instead of students holding it up, it's projected onto the big screen in front of the whole class. And then the other option, which is very different that Charlala has that you can do, is they have uh, set up so that you can create conversaciones simuladas or simulated conversations. So for the interpersonal speaking mode, so you could do some practices or assessments with that. So I used it to set up the final exam for my AP students, which has that interpersonal speaking part. So I highly recommend that you try Charlala, especially the draw room feature. And Chris, the creator of it, is very quick to respond and was looking for feedback. So he was very open to developing this site and a way to give teachers what they are looking for. So the Meldrum Languages faculty in Aberdeenshire have recently discovered charlala.com. The website works a little bit like Kahoot. The pupils can join your draw room using a code. The pupils then have a set amount of time, the time set by the teacher, to respond to a prompt. The prompt can be absolutely anything. I've used prompts to practice housework, rooms of the house, physical descriptions, relationships. The pupils then respond to the prompt using a variety of different colours and brushes to draw a picture. The draw room does allow your pupils to create quite detailed pictures, but I've found that a short amount of time, 35 to 40 seconds, works better than giving the pupils a long amount of time to create their picture. Once the time's up, the pupils' pictures then appear on the teacher's smart board. The teacher can then select one and it appears in a lovely gold frame and it means the teacher can then use that to discuss anything at all. For example, when we did physical description, you would take the pupils' picture of someone tall with long, curly black hair and green eyes. You could then ask them about their height, their build, their eyes, their hair and so on. I've also used the website to practice verb conjugation, just saying a conjugated verb in English and the pupils have to conjugate it in the target language on their boards. You can then display the correct answers in the gold frames. The pupils have enjoyed this. I really like the website. 
because I'm getting instant feedback from my pupils. I can see exactly who's understanding the vocabulary and who's not. And an added bonus is that I'm noticing that for a lot of pupils who are reluctant to write down answers, they're quite happy to draw a picture to illustrate the word instead. So I'm getting good responses from pupils who, in a more traditional lesson, don't usually enjoy a lot of success in languages. The pupils have enjoyed using the website. They think it's good fun and they like seeing their work in the gold frame. I would like to explore more aspects of the website. I believe you can create draw sets, you can make up classes, create assignments, which I believe would be really good for setting homework. Thank you. Thank you so much to all those educators for sharing their uses. And Joe, for teachers who are still trying to kind of picture this amazing new tool in their heads, you know, other than knowing that it's free, you know, what, what kind of parallel could we draw to other resources that, that folks might already be familiar with? Okay, so I would imagine that most language teachers in the world know about Kahoot already, and it has a similar type of setup, i.e. the teacher is projecting their screen so all the students can see the code on the screen, as you get with Shalala. The children put the code in, and then they get some sort of activity they can then do. But what's really nice about Shalala compared to a more like multiple-choice gamified resource, things like Kahoot or quizzes or those sorts of things, is the fact that it's a really designed for promoting speaking. So I think it really offers something new and different. And the fact it's free is really, really cool. And also, I think it's exciting as well. I know you're the same that we could talk about something which probably most people haven't heard of. And so by listening to this, you can then come off the podcast, get onto your laptop or your iPad, and you can check it out and just see how amazing it is. And we would love some feedback about how you're using Shalala in the classroom for a future episode. So uh, if you like it, and you want to talk about it, let us know because we'd love to include your feedback in uh, episode 11. Yeah, I'm totally agreeing with you, Joe. And, you know, we, we have so many resources that are out there that we get excited about that, you know, in the United States, we divide communication into interpretive communication, presentational communication, and interpersonal communication. And that first box of interpretive communication is really the easiest one to find, just a rich trove of resources. I think on the technology side, you know, really powerful stuff that works with students. It's the interpersonal and presentational communication that's a little bit heavier of a lift for teachers to find those amazing resources. And I'm totally agreeing with you. Charola is one of the right answers to teachers who are asking that question. And it's awesome as well that it's a language teacher who actually created it. So obviously found a need for that particular tool. And I think he's absolutely smashed it out of the park, as you would say. The MFL Twitterati podcast is brought to you by Linguascope. Linguascope.com is an award-winning language learning website trusted and used daily by thousands of schools worldwide. When your school subscribes to Linguascope, students get access to a wealth of interactive activities in a dozen different languages, with over 140 topics covered. The games can be played on interactive whiteboards, computers or on tablets. There are free apps students can download on their own devices. All staff and students can log in both from school as well as from home, making it ideal for homework too. The website also contains a host of resources to make teachers' lives easier, from principal worksheets to customizable interactive games templates. If Linguascope is new to you, then you'll feel like all your Christmases have come at once. Teachers truly find Linguascope.com invaluable, and you will soon notice the positive impact on your students' motivation and learning. But don't take our word for it. Visit Linguascope.com and click on Learn More to find out what the website has to offer. We guarantee that you will fall in love with Linguascope.
Thank you again so much to Linguiscope for your sponsorship of the MFL Twitterati podcast. Joe Dale, we have arrived to the show and tell portion of this episode. And I'm really excited about this because normally our show and tell revolves more around a tool, a theme. This episode, our show and tell is all around Mandarin Chinese. What do we have to look forward to? Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm really excited about the show and tell for this particular episode, looking at different ways in which language teachers, both at primary and at secondary, are promoting the teaching of Mandarin Chinese in our classrooms. It's really great stuff. So to start off with, we're going to hear from MFL St. Anthony's and MFL underscore SBS, along with Clara Blayman, who are going to describe how they celebrated Chinese New Year and Chinese culture in their schools. And it's lovely to hear both from secondary and primary perspectives on this. Hello, I'm from MFL St. Anthony's. We're a school in Sunderland and we do quite a lot of work with our partner school in China. So because of that, every year, especially around Chinese New Year, we like to celebrate that link. It gives us a great opportunity to teach the students about the, the rich culture of China. So this year, some of the students have enjoyed doing a Tai Chi workshop and learning a little bit of calligraphy as well. So as well as learning about the language, they've got that idea of the culture, which is so, so different from the culture of France and Spain, which are the subjects that we study here. The students always really enjoy it. It's something that a little bit different. And um, we're very lucky because we have a link with Newcastle University Confucius Institute. So they support us as well in delivering these workshops. There's also lots of things going on in our local area. So in Sunderland and also in Newcastle in Chinatown every year, they have big celebrations for Chinese New Year. So we find that by doing things in school, that then gives the, the students that interest and that desire to, to go out and find a little bit more in their local area, which is really, really good. We have a Mandarin club which runs throughout the year, but then always around Chinese New Year, we, we tend to get more students involved and, and do things which are a little bit different. And the feedback is always very, very positive from those. It's definitely something we'd like to continue working on in the future. Hello, my name's Saira Ghani and my Twitter handle is at MFL underscore SBS. We introduced Mandarin to Year 7 this year. And as such, this is the first time we celebrated Chinese New Year as a whole school. To celebrate the day itself, we organised a Chinese buffet lunch where students and staff were able to enjoy some fantastic spare ribs. This, of course, was really enjoyed by the boys. Our Mandarin teacher encouraged classes to write signs wishing people a happy Chinese New Year, and these signs were displayed around the school. Coinciding with Chinese New Year, we hosted a number of Chinese students for a week who were visiting the UK to gain an insight into UK schools. This created a huge buzz around the school as we had a number of boys from years 8 to years 10 who acted as buddies. This involved them meeting the students every morning, taking them to lessons and chatting to them at breaks times and lunch times. Our Mandarin teacher also liaised with the food tech teacher and we had an hour where there was a dumpling party. There was amazing feedback from the buddies who were really proud to have been chosen to represent their school, but also were really impressed by the amount of facts they learned about Chinese culture and were really excited about the friendships formed and in particular the gifts that they received from the Chinese students. We also had a group of Year 7 students who attended an event organised by Oxford Brookes University to celebrate Chinese culture and the Chinese New Year. Again, students were really, really excited, particularly by having to perform a song to wish people a happy Chinese New Year. They also really enjoyed taking part in a tea ceremony, doing a bit of Tai Chi and a bit of calligraphy. 
So there were a number of events which took place linked to Chinese New Year, which really did help to raise the profile of Mandarin within the school. And it also managed to engage a number of students, whether or not they're actually taking Mandarin. Hi, I'm Cara Blyman and I teach and support the teaching and learning of Mandarin in seven primary schools in London for the Harris Federation. So we're really lucky that we've been supported by generous funding from the Swart Chinese Language Foundation. So in one school, we were able to purchase some really beautiful picture books, all linked to Chinese culture. And those will be taught as English units by the class teachers. In addition to that, we've been able to book workshops including lion dancing, dragon dancing, Chinese circus skills as well. And we've used this year, we've used the Red Panda Agency and primary workshops for schools. Um, something else that we've done in one of our schools is to contact our local Confucius Institute. And they're always really good at providing you with ideas for special workshops at Chinese New Year. So we contacted London South Bank University and they're going to send us professional dancers, acrobats and some Kung Fu masters to perform a special assembly for pupils in one of our schools. In addition to that, we have got in another school the idea of having an art exhibition as our end outcome for Chinese New Year. So each year group's been given a different Tang Dynasty poem. The poems are quite descriptive creating a really vivid mountain scene uh, with the language they use. So pupils have read the poems, done some sketching, used some different ink brush techniques from Chinese art, and then they've worked towards each of them creating their own shan shui, literally mountain water landscape painting, um, to portray the Tang Dynasty poems. And then those were displayed around the school for parents to come in, listen to children singing some Mandarin songs, and have a celebration just after school. It's also been a chance for us to invite parents in for their own Mandarin workshops. We've kind of tried to give little tasters, Mandarin tasters to parents who are really excited about the idea of Mandarin, but it's often quite something which parents don't know much about. So it's a really good chance to kind of build support amongst the whole school community. And finally, it's been a really great chance for us to build further links with our link school in China. So we've been writing letters and we've been reading some really beautiful booklets which have been sent where the children in our link school have told us how they celebrate Chinese New Year with some English and some Chinese writing. And that's helping us as well to work toward our International Schools Award. So those are just some of the things we've been doing. And I hope you all have a lovely celebration of Chinese New Year in your school as well. Thanks. Bye. For the next part of the show and tell, we're going to focus on the Mandarin Excellence Programme which offers state secondary schools in England the opportunity to learn Mandarin intensively every week for eight hours, as well as visit China too. Amazing. And this programme is coordinated by the University College London and the British Council in England. Amazing stuff there. And we're now going to actually hear from Catherine Carruthers from the University College London, who's going to describe a little bit more about the programme. And program note listeners, we do want you to know this recording was made in April of last academic year, and there's now actually 75 schools taking part in the program. Catherine, over to you. The Mandarin Excellence Program is a really exciting program. It's an intensive language program. We'll see at least 5,000 pupils on their way to a high level of fluency in Mandarin by March 2020. So it's pretty innovative for language teaching in this country in the all children on the program. And they have to start in year seven and they have eight hours of Chinese a week, four taught hours and four non-taught hours. 
We began the program in September 2016 with a relatively small number of 14 schools who were already very experienced at um, the teaching and learning of Chinese and had Chinese well developed on their curriculum. Since then, the programme's expanded considerably. There are, in year two of the programme, there are 37 schools on it, and this year there are 64. And what's very encouraging, I think, is that the schools aren't just in London and the South East, but spread out pretty um, evenly right across England now. The first cohort of schools now teaching, delivering Mandarin excellence in year seven, year eight and year nine. So the teachers are getting quite used to delivering, it's not exactly an immersive programme, but it's certainly significantly increased curriculum time and it's having some amazing results. Teachers are producing children who are really motivated because if they have enough curriculum time, the children can see themselves making really good progress. That motivates them and it certainly motivates their teachers. So motivation is very obvious and also progress. The young people on the program are not worried at all about speaking in Chinese, about trying things out, about manipulating the language, and their level of character acquisition is great. So it gives them time to really get to grips with not just a breadth, but to sort of dig down and make sure that their fundamentals of learning Chinese and learning the language are really, really strong. So the foundations are there. The other sort of anecdotal type things which are interesting is that it's providing a potential interesting model for language learning per se. And I had a conversation, for instance, last week with a head of languages at a school in the northeast. And she said that since children had started on the Mandarin Excellence Programme, because they're a new school for this year, she'd noticed the cohort on the Mandarin Excellence Programme has really got improved pronunciation in French. So the idea, I think, behind her thinking was because you have to listen hard to work out how Chinese is pronounced. They're getting better at listening for European languages too. And finally, it'd be nice to mention, I think, as part of the Mandarin Excellence Programme, the children have an opportunity to go to China. So they go to China when they've been on the programme for two years in year eight. And this year, we will have over a thousand children going to seven different cities across China for a two-week intensive study programme. Thank you so much there from Catherine for that introduction. Mandarin Chinese teachers Frank Fan and Miss T. Fu are now going to share their experiences of delivering the MEP as well as ask some of their students their thoughts about the programme. Hi, my name is Frank Fan, a Mandarin teacher at Melbourne Village College, the first school in Cambridgeshire of Mandarin as a curriculum. Our school joined the Mandarin Excellence Programme in 2017. It was a great opportunity for me and our students to join this programme. The students think it is their privileges to learn Chinese and they are specially selected for the future of this country. By joining this program, the students not only learn Chinese as a language, but expose more to the Chinese culture. For example, by breaking down Chinese characters, the students understand more of Chinese history and the culture background. The students need to spend 4 hours at school and 4 hours at home each week to learn Chinese. It sounds a lot for children in this country, but it does help them to have a good learning attitude. The students can access quite a few online resources like Go Chinese, Quizlet, Playco, etc. But do give them quite a lot of paper homework because Chinese is a written language. In addition, I invited parents to sign their children's homework each week as part of culture awareness because in China, the parents always sign the children's homework in order to monitor their children's learning. I found that MEP students master the language much better than the normal classes. For example, my year 8 MEP group 
could write a long paragraph from memory covering quite a few familiar topics. Some of them can write a half A4 paper. My Year Seven MP group could introduce their family members, names, surname, birthday, the year they were born, pets, the Chinese zodiac, etc. I'm glad that they achieved so well in such a short time. Emily, how has it made you feel being selected for MEP? Being selected for the MEP has been a privilege. It has given me a lot of opportunities and has opened up my options for the future. Good. How easy have you found learning Chinese compared to other languages you have learned? I think that learning Mandarin is easier than learning Spanish because there is no tense and little grammar, and the characters have stories behind them that stick in your head. Has the approach been different? I think that the approach to learning Mandarin is different than other languages. Because you get to learn about the culture, which is very interesting, and it is something that you don't usually get to do when you learn a European language. Henry, what impact has doing eight hours of Mandarin a week, four hours in the school, and four hours at home? The eight hours of learning has definitely improved my learning, and helped the whole class improve our grammar and learning attitude. Okay, so what sort of homework activities do you do? It's often a variation of styles. Sometimes it's a matching exercise, and other times it might be a writing exercise. Each way improves a different part of our Mandarin knowledge. Good. So, what's your favorite use of technology while learning Mandarin? There is a mobile app called Hello Chinese, which is simple to use but sticks the different characters and meanings in your head. I find it very useful. Okay. Thank you, Harry, and thanks, Emily. Hello, 大家好 I am Miss T Fu, currently working in the maintained secondary school in West Sussex, and this is my first year teaching an MEP group. I think that the Mandarin Excellence Program offers an amazing opportunity for young people in the UK to learn to speak Mandarin and to learn to write the different characters accurately. They also are able to get to know Chinese culture better, and even have the chance to travel to China in the second year of the program. Learning a completely new language is a real challenge for the students, and makes them become more motivated and confident learners across the whole curriculum. Furthermore, learn a language through. A variety of activities in lessons and through intensive learning out of school benefits students immensely as they become used to using language in real life situations. And here is what Eliza and Harvey think of the MEP. They are Year Seven students in my school. 你好，你好啊，我很好。好 ，How has it made you feel being selected for the MEP? It made me feel very good about myself to be selected because only a couple of students were selected to be in, so it made me feel good.、Mm-hmm. And how easy have you found learning Chinese compared to other languages you have learned? After practice, I found it quite a lot easier than French, which is the other language we learn, because I practiced a lot and I found out different things about the culture, and it made it easier. Ah, nice. So has the approach been different? Ah,、uh, yeah, we've made it into games and other things, and that's made it definitely easier to learn. Okay. And what impact has doing eight hours of Mandarin a week had on your learning? 
I think it's improved my learning because I am very committed to it and it is improving every time I practice. Mm -hmm. So I know your sister's and yeah. she's been doing Mandarin as well. So yeah. will you practice Mandarin at home? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what sort of homework activities do you do? We have a big booklet full of like practice things to do, and we get set one every like time we get set. And also we have different sheets to do and activities. Okay. Any other more interesting activities? Sometimes you get given presentation homework to create a presentation on Google Slides. On Google Slides, of what topics? Food and drink. Yeah. And schools in. China. Yeah, so just the more cultural stuff. Yeah. yeah. And what's your favorite use of technology when learning Mandarin? Probably go Chinese because you learn everything from it and it makes you do multiple questions. It's mm. helpful. And just think about the activities we do in class. Yeah. What kind of activities do you like the most? Things that um, are funny, but it makes you stay in your head, like the color game that we played. And the Lobodun, yeah, that one, and also any other um, online tools, for example, quizzes. Oh yeah, quizzes, Quizlet Live, and things like that, because it really makes you focus, because it's a competition. <laughs> yeah, so you've been doing really well. Thank you, Eliza. I'm going to ask you some questions about MEP. Okay? okay. So the first one, how has it made you feel being selected for the MEP? It feels like I've like got a lot of hard work to do, but it will pay off if I go to China, which will be really good. And how easy have you found learning Chinese compared to other languages you have learned? Mandarin's been quite hard, but um, it's been really good because it's a totally new language. And yeah, I feel like I get a lot from it. Has the, the approach been different? I like it because it's like the teacher says a word and then you repeat the word, which then can obviously help get it fixed in your mind to remember it. And how about the characters? Well, what I picture it is as looking at a picture and remembering a word instead of looking at a word with loads of accents and remembering that, I find it a little bit easier. Mm. Uh, so what impact has doing eight hours of Mandarin a week had on your learning? Say like four hours learning and four hours homework. So four hours learning um, has definitely helped a lot, whether other than like two hours learning, because you learn obviously a lot more in that space of time um yeah it's been really good then how about the homework do you think the uh homework's the homework no the homework's been totally fine like the mep like um like projects have been really really good okay then what sort of homework activities do you do usually it's like um we add one on like i think it's different sort of like groups of people in china sometimes about the great wall of china and questions about the Yeah, you mean the project? Yeah, yeah, the project. And what's your favorite use of technology when learning Mandarin? I really like the Go Chinese because mm. you get to listen to the words and do the different assessments on it. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So as we've heard, students have the opportunity as part of the Mandarin Excellence Program to actually visit China. And here we have audio from MFL DGS as well as Deabreu underscore S describing the MEP and their recent visits to China, including reflections from their students. 
This is MFL DGS talking today about the MEP programme and I'll start by thinking about so why did we join the MEP programme? I think one of the reasons was for the potential that the programme has to give students the opportunity to experience Chinese language, Chinese culture and China in a way that most students or many students in UK state schools just are not able to do. Students have four hours a week and this additional time compared to other languages gives them not only the chance to make rapid progress and gives us as teachers the chance to really go into depth with the content and teach exactly what we want to teach and add in the extra bits that maybe sometimes you're forced not to. Not only that, but also the chance for cultural activities, the time that we have that we can dedicate a Friday afternoon to learning Chinese poetry or learning a Chinese dance and even outside of school giving students the opportunity to go and perform in different locations in Oxford or to have a day out in Oxford to go and explore well what can we learn about Chinese culture in Oxford those are such crucial elements of the program that really help the students to enjoy it and also secure their progress as I mentioned, progress is brilliant, not only because of the extra time that they've got, but also the brilliant resources that we have from the Confucius Institute collate together lots of resources from different teachers. They create their own the Confucius Institute at UCL. And the students really, really enjoy the program. They definitely, it's something they've opted into. They feel special. They're, it's something they are 100% proud of. The confidence that they have is phenomenal. And an example, you know, we, we went on a, the trip to China when the students were at the end of year eight in July. And seeing some of our students stopping Chinese people in the street or in the park to have a conversation with them, that's how confident they were. And even if it wasn't perfect, you know, they're not scared of making mistakes. And that was, that was something really special. So, yeah, something that I think we are very pleased to be a part of. My Twitter name is Deabreu underscore S. I'm a lead practitioner and the teacher in charge of the Mandarin Excellence Programme at Christopher Whitehead Language College in Worcester. I'm going to introduce to you my three students who have all been on the programme for just over two years. We have Amber Clarkson, Connie McGrath and Alicia Winter. Connie, if I could start with you, please. How has the trip to Shanghai in July impacted you and your learning of Mandarin? Well, nobody spoke English over there, so if you wanted to speak or ask for something, you had to use Mandarin, which helped develop our knowledge. Comparing modern-day Shanghai to the traditional history of Shanghai has made me realise how much China has developed and changed over the years. It was a big place, wasn't it? What's the population? I can't remember. I think it's like 24 million or something. 24 million. It's like four times the size of London. It's absolutely huge. What did you think of the lessons out there? Well, the lessons in China were very helpful as having a Chinese teacher helped me understand tones more and ensure my tones are more accurate. They also taught us more about radicals and how they've changed over time. Mm, much more interesting maybe than when I was teaching you. Alicia, have your views on China changed as a result of visiting? My views have changed because I thought that China would be very traditional like the water village we went to see. But actually, it's very modernised and there's a lot of big buildings and things. So it's fun to see how that has changed. Okay. Did your experience in China make you want to return? Yeah, I would like to return because I'd like to see how much it's changed since I last visited. And is Mandarin something that you want to continue with or in the future? Yeah, I think I would like to. Do you think that's as a result of this trip? Yeah, because it's made me see how much, what China's actually like. Okay. Amber, 
How has visiting China changed you? Well, I feel more like a global citizen because I've been to China, which is across the world, and I've been to a continent that I'd never been to before. And while you were out there, you obviously learned some new language, I'm presuming. Yeah. And what sort of things did you learn and, and how did you use it? Well, in China, I learned to use Xiao Chen a lot, which means how much is it? <laughs> because I'd have to use that every time I bought anything. Okay. So use of transactional language and being able to talk, like, in regular situations, maybe. Yeah. It felt a bit more natural. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, girls, for talking today. It's been really interesting. And thanks again. Thank you so much, Sarah, from MFLDGS and Deabreo underscore S for those insights. To see what other schools have been up to as part of the MEP, I would recommend checking out the hashtag Mandarin Excellence on Twitter. I love that so much. Really inspirational stuff from all of those schools taking part in the MEP. And now we're going to play you some audio from two more secondary members of the MFL Twitterati sharing their experiences of learning Mandarin Chinese as well as visiting to the country itself. Here we go with audio from Miss Mulholland MFL and Katie Lockett. Hi, this is at Miss Mulholland MFL. I'm a French and Spanish teacher based in Dublin. I've been learning Mandarin for the last two years and teaching it for the last year. Chinese or Mandarin is an extremely interesting language to learn. There are so many levels to learning it. Obviously, firstly, you have to look at pinyin, which is the romanization of Chinese characters. You have to look at the tone, which is very different to any European language that I've learned before. You have to look at the different pronunciations of sounds, the different groups of vowels. Then obviously you have to look at the characters. And there's a huge discrepancy, obviously, between, you know, looking at the form of the characters and the sounds that they produce. So that's a huge challenge as well. What I would say to myself going back to learn Chinese again, I think I would try and avoid relying too much on the pinyin and really trying to master the characters at an early stage. Because once you have a solid mastery of the characters, it really makes your progress in the language much easier. Because, you know, for example, if you learn 300 characters, you can master about 450 words. So there is a really benefit to learning the characters at an early stage. Unlike French or Spanish, where in my experience, the learning never plateaus. It never becomes easy in French or Spanish. It's always kind of gradually getting harder and harder. What I find in Mandarin is although it gets difficult very quickly, it does level off as in that it's constantly difficult, but it doesn't get much harder. So once you kind of get over that initial challenge, I feel that the language is pretty approachable as long as you're willing to commit the time and energy to it. Learning Chinese and being back in the learner's seat has really, I think, benefited my teaching as well. I am back as a learner for the first time in probably 10 or 15 years at the beginning of a language experience. And I'm experiencing the same frustrations that my students are. I'm seeing the same challenges that they are. And it's really helped me to kind of improve my patience and improve my understanding and try and find more ways to help different students adapt to learning a language. I'm very honest with my students. They know that I'm learning Mandarin. They know that I'm studying. But I think this honesty has allowed me to build a different rapport with the students. So rather than them seeing me as someone who's mastered the language and doesn't remember what it's like to feel challenges, they now believe that I do understand the challenges they're going through, that I do understand that it's difficult and that I don't take what they're doing for granted or for easy. I also feel that it allows them to trust what I'm telling them a bit more. So when I recommend things that they might not see as valuable, like, you know, going up and down the stairs and repeating their verbs over and over or using apps like Duolingo or Memrise, now they believe me that actually they are of value because I have told them that in my own experience, they're of value. So I think it allows them to see me more as a learner rather than someone who doesn't remember what it's like to learn. So I think it's had a really good impact on my teaching as well. 
I've recently come back from a trip to China and like everyone will say, the really best way to practice a language is to be there and to experience it. And I have to say the place is an incredible place to visit. My experience was really, really out of this world. The whole country is a sensory overload. I got the opportunity to travel around the country and it was really, really valuable getting to practice my Chinese, getting to learn nuances in the language and really getting to experience it was, was really, really valuable. My whole experience with learning Mandarin has been really valuable, both personally and professionally, and I would definitely recommend it to anyone if they were considering starting it. Hello, I'm at Katie Lockett. I'm the head of MFL in Gloucestershire. But for the past two years, I was teaching at an international school in China. Chinese is a fascinating language. And my favourite thing, I think, about it is the way the numbers work, that if you can count to 10, then you're good to go. And then 12, for example, becomes 10, 2, or 20 becomes 2, 10. I think that was my favourite thing about learning Mandarin. But probably one of the more embarrassing stories was, unfortunately, working in an English language context and teaching French and Spanish, I didn't have a huge amount of time to perfect my Mandarin. So what little Mandarin I had, had to get me quite far. And one of the most useful words I learned was bing, which means cold or ice. So bing shui, meaning iced water or cold water, very useful phrase in restaurants because they normally serve you water hot. But also a popular snack in the streets of Beijing is jiangbing, which is a pancake. I once went to a shop and I was hoping to buy some ice. So I went up to the shop assistant and asked them if they had any bing hoping that that was going to find me ice. But they just took me to an aisle that sold eggs and flour because I think they thought that I wanted to make a pancake. And it was that day that I learned that Jiangbing, the type of pancake I knew, there were actually lots of different types of pancakes with bing at the end. And that it's all to do with the tones and that in Chinese, many words that sound the same to us, pronounced slightly differently, have slightly different meanings. And that's why I was going wrong. Thanks, bye. Thank you so much there from Miss Holland and particularly from Katie Lockett, who was brave enough to share a potentially embarrassing situation when she was in the target country learning some uh, new language, making the difference between ice and pancake. And I'm sure as language teachers, we all have memories of particular mistakes or embarrassing moments that we can remember when we've learned a particular piece of vocabulary or, or an expression, which we'll never forget because of a certain situation and learning the language in context. Yeah, Joe, I like to call those piercing mistakes. And, you know, <laughs> not because you were studying abroad as a young person and made a bad decision with a piercing on your body, but more just one of those language mistakes where you made it and it just like made you cringe inside as if you'd been pierced. And, you know, I think that one of the great opportunities that, that comes from Katie's audio on that is that when we share those piercing mistakes with students, it shows us being vulnerable and it doesn't just entertain the students and engage them, but it also shows them, oh, Language learning is a process and it's okay to make some of these mistakes along the way. It's just going to add to my journey. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I love the way that Miss Mulholland mentions that in her audio as well, in the way that uh, by learning Mandarin Chinese and sharing her experiences and, and reinforcing the power of tools like Duolingo for learning 
a language um, really resonated with her students, it would seem. And I think that's a really brave thing to do for both of them. So well done. And and as um, the book goes, be 10% braver. So I think that's really, really awesome stuff. And uh, we're very grateful that you shared those experiences with our listeners. Yeah, Joe, you're totally going to cut this audio from the podcast. But I had an experience living in the Dominican Republic where I went to a corner little bodega grocery store and you know, was just repeatedly asking the owner, you know, if he would put the items that I'd bought into a baggie for me to carry home. And he kept saying he didn't have a baggie. And I kept insisting he did have a baggie, you know, and I kept a, a little baggie, just so you have a little baggie for me. And he kept getting angrier and angrier. And, and it turned out at the end of the day, you know, somebody came and intervened and explained, you know, we were having a little bit of a communication breakdown that I was using a word that in other countries means just a sack or a baggie, but in the Dominican Republic refers to a different kind of sack, in particular of the male anatomy, <laughs> and was insisting that he give me um, one of those that he had one for me. And he kept insisting he did not have one for me. And it was not little. <laughs> I'm sure you never made that mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, um, in a previous episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast, we focused on the use of film, and we heard from the British Film Institute about their MFL study days. I'm delighted to say that we've heard from Carol May Barker for this episode, because some of the MFL study days include films around Mandarin Chinese, i.e. the language and the culture. And um, the great thing as well is these happen all over the country. It's not just in London. So, for example, Carol's going to talk a little bit about an exciting event happening in Newcastle very soon. Hi, my name is Carol May Barker, and I am a developer of learning programmes at the British Film Institute. At the BFI South Bank in central London, we deliver a programme of study days for schools using film as a tool to teach a variety of curriculum subjects at both primary and secondary key stages. Film is a very stimulating and engaging tool for teaching languages and our school's programme is very popular with MFL teachers. We offer study days across the curriculum subjects, French, Spanish, German and Mandarin. So BFI works in close partnership with the Confucius Institute at the UCL Institute of Education and we're very lucky to develop our Mandarin study days utilising a unique synthesis of language, teaching and film expertise. Our Key Stage 3 study day is called Myth, Culture and Modernity in Chinese Cinema and it includes a range of film-related Key Stage 3 language activities aimed to enhance listening, speaking, reading and writing skills whilst introducing students to modern and classic Chinese films. Teachers of Mandarin often find that as Chinese culture can seem more distant to UK students learning the language, films are really effective entry points into exploring Chinese culture, customs and traditions, and seeing Mandarin language spoken in authentic settings. We also offer Mandarin at Key Stage 5 with focus on analyses of films on both the A-level and pre-U specifications, with particular emphasis on cultural learning outcomes. This academic year at the BFI, we are for the first time working with brilliant venues at locations across the UK, including Bristol, Sheffield and Nottingham, to offer our study days to schools outside of London. Key Stage 3 Mandarin will be available in North East at Tyneside Cinema in Newcastle in February, and we hope to plan many more elsewhere. So to find out more and to book a BFI study day for your school at either Southbank or UK venue, please check our website at bfi.org.uk forward slash hyphen research. 
Thank you so much to Carol and all that the British Film Institute is doing for language learners across the country. And to finish off our show and tell, we have two very special primary school teacher contributions. Joe, what can you tell us? That's right, No, We're now going to hear from Kate McCallum from York and Mrs. Mandarin 8 from Birmingham. And they're going to describe how they've been using performance and song to promote Chinese culture with their children and the opportunities that have arisen as a result. Hello, my name's Kate McCallum from the Chatty Staff Room. And I'm going to talk about how we teach Mandarin Chinese in our primary school and how we're going to go about looking at China as a country and Chinese culture and how I've done this in the past. So at my school, which is foundation to year six, the children study lots of different languages. But in year five, they begin Mandarin Chinese and they continue this for two years and then sit an ISAB online assessment in Mandarin at the end of year six, which is a level one listening, reading and writing paper. They really, really enjoy studying Mandarin and most children perform really highly. I think we got something like 14 distinctions one year. So it's something that is really good for the children to work towards and in something in which they can get quite a lot of success relatively quickly. Okay, so without just talking about the language side of things, I'm going into year five this year. I'm currently teaching year six, moving into year five. So I was talking to a colleague of mine who's also going to be there with me about what we're going to look at. And we thought the obvious one, since they're going to begin learning Mandarin Chinese, is we're going to do more with the topic of China and look at the geographical features of China, look at the history of China and the rich culture that the country has. Now, part of this, when she suggested this to me, I was said, that's a great idea. And I've done something in this before. And I have about 10 years ago now, right at the beginning of my teaching career, I also had a class topic of China. And we looked at all sorts of things. But predominantly, I focus this around the willow pattern story, which comes from the willow pattern plate, the intricate design on um, earthenware. It's blue and white. You might have seen it around charity shops. Anyway, it was very, very popular in the sort of early 19th century. And there's a story. It is a bogus story. It's not actually true. It was made up by a British guy, but it is a very believable story coming from about the Orient, really. And it was, it came out of Britain's obsession with the Orient at the time. And from that story, which I'll talk about in a minute about what that, a synopsis of what that is. From that story, I then did a play script from that. So we retold the story, but we did the play script. Once they've written the script, we then performed it using giant puppets. Now, obviously, puppetry is a big part of Chinese culture as well. You only need to think about the amazing dragons on parades. Well, we made papier-mâché heads from the main characters and then attached those to garden canes and then the children stood behind them and there was fabric in front for the clothes so the children are concealed behind the puppets and they basically make the puppets move as part of the play. Now we had narrators narrating the play over the top and we also had some children who had composed music to accompany the play based on Chinese music too that they'd heard. So it was a really rich cultural experience and they absolutely loved it. So this is the story of the famous willow pattern plate. Once there was a wealthy Mandarin who had a beautiful daughter. She had fallen in love with her father's humble accounting assistant. This really angered her father as he didn't think it was appropriate for them to marry because 
the accounting assistant was in a different social class. So he dismissed the young man immediately and built a high fence around his house in order to keep him away from his daughter. The Mandarin was planning for his daughter to marry a powerful duke. So the duke arrives by boat to claim his bride and he bears this box of jewels as a gift. And the wedding was to take place on the day the blossom fell from the willow tree. On the eve of the daughter's wedding to the duke, the young accountant, disguised as a servant, slipped into the palace unnoticed. The daughter and the accountant escaped with the jewels and the alarm was raised. They ran over a bridge chased by the Mandarin, who had a whip in his hand. They eventually escaped on the Duke's ship to the safety of a secluded island, where they lived happily ever after for years. But one day, the Duke learned of their refuge, and hungry for revenge, he sent soldiers who captured the lovers and put them to death. The gods, who were moved by their plight, transformed the lovers into a pair of doves. So I want to do that again in year five, but I want to get a lot more out of the story. I'm not going to do it as a retelling as such now. I want to look at it from setting descriptions, different characters' point of view, maybe letters, might do some haikus as well. I know that's Japanese, but I'm looking at different forms of poetry too. I want to basically tackle quite a few genres through the story itself, but then I would like to put on the play, possibly looking then linking to other Chinese folklore stories and then definitely doing more on the art side too because we can do lots of blue and white art. So really, I'm very excited about it and I think it will be a great topic that perfectly complements the language learning. And what's going to be great about the play this time is that they're going to have much more language. I did incorporate some Chinese language into it last time, but this time they will have learnt Mandarin Chinese and they'll be pretty proficient by, well... They'll have the basics nailed by the time it gets to Chinese New Year when we intend to put on the play. So I'm really looking forward to it. Hello, I am at Mrs Mandarin 8. And I work in a school in Birmingham, uh, primary school, that teaches Mandarin across the school from nursery to year six. So it happened about 10 years ago, and it became a Confucius classroom, where we have a grant from the Chinese government, lots of free resources, and a Chinese teaching assistant who comes over from China every year to support in the classroom. So about eight years ago, the head teacher and myself went to have a visit to the Link School, primary school that we have in Beijing. Beijing number two experimental primary school. There are 3,000 students in the primary school and we were shown phenomenal hospitality and a welcome and it was a trip that I will never forget and during that trip I went to see the choir which had a beautiful three-part harmony that gave me the idea that when I returned to the UK that I could set up a Chinese choir in my school. So then I proceeded to ask the Chinese New Year celebrations that happened in Birmingham, could the school come and sing on their stage? And they accepted. And we started off really simply with Justin Bieber's baby in Chinese and maybe Twinkle Little Star or something like this. And then again for the Middle Autumn Festival later on in the year, normally in September, October time. And now every year we go and sing and perform for those two celebrations and festivals in Birmingham Centre, Chinese Centre. 
And then in 2015, I asked the Confucius Institute, could my choir come and sing down in London for their conference? And they said, yes, actually, could you come and sing in two weeks when we have a visit from a important state visitor from China, who ended up being the president of China's Xi Jinping, his state visit to the UK. So my Chinese choir went down and we sang the song that you heard earlier on, which was the song that I heard when I went to my link school in Beijing. And it's a special song in my heart now, and I love to sing it or get the choir to sing it all the time. And we have great fun um, with the Chinese choir now, eight years later, still singing and still brilliant. Thank you so much for those heartwarming stories there from Kate and from uh, Simone, Mrs. Mandarin 8, who's been a personal friend of mine for many years now. Whenever I think of Mandarin Chinese teaching, I always think of Simone, who's been promoting the teaching of Mandarin Chinese for many, many years now. And long may that continue. So thank you ever so much, Simone. We really appreciate your contribution. Yeah, lovely stuff, Simone. And a huge thank you to all of the contributors to the Mandarin Chinese special show and tell. And Joe, before we transition to the Tech Talk interview, any final thoughts on the show and tell? I just think it's fantastic to see all these different teachers from England teaching Mandarin Chinese and the different perspectives that the children as well have given on learning Mandarin Chinese over eight hours every week, four hours of contact time and four hours of homework. Wouldn't it be fantastic if all language teachers had a similar amount of contact time? Just imagine the amazing things that could be possible as a result of that. But it's really great that the MEP exists and long may that continue. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of my takeaways from the show and tell, Joe, is just going back to what you were talking about, about the student voices, that when, you know, when we have students talking about and celebrating language learning in our classrooms, that is one of the best and most powerful advocacy tools that we have to take to decision makers to say, hey, languages matter. For today's Tech Talk interview, it is our absolute pleasure to be talking to the amazing and lovely Susie Buell. So Susie, to start off with, would it be possible for you to give us a potted history of all the things you've done? Because you've done so many things, it'd be much better coming from you, I think, rather than me having a stab at it. So over to you, Susie, and welcome to the podcast. Okay, well, thank you very much, Joe, and a warm welcome to you all listening in. So yes, my name's Susie Buell, and I am first and foremost a languages teacher. So I've been teaching French and German, Spanish, and a bit of Mandarin for the last 20 years. And I have also had a little bit of a dabble in teacher training. So I spent five years running the teacher training course for modern languages at the University of York, which was a great pleasure, training the next generation of uh, outstanding languages teachers. But in fairness, I missed being in the classroom. And so about five years ago, I went back into school and was back at the chalk face. And so since then, I have had the pleasure of teaching both in secondary and in primary, which has been fantastic. So I'm currently working across three schools in Yorkshire, teaching predominantly French and Spanish. But I'm also trying to keep up with my other languages and I still keep a hand in all things teacher training too. Absolutely excellent introduction. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. So you mentioned that you are teaching Mandarin Chinese at the moment. As the special is about Mandarin Chinese for our particular episode for the podcast, it would be lovely for you to maybe describe a little bit about your journey, let's say. I know that's a bit of a cliched expression, but your journey with Mandarin Chinese, how you started, why that happened and where you are now. 
Absolutely. So, uh, yes, I never saw myself learning or teaching Chinese, to be honest. 20 years ago when I trained, I trained as a French and German teacher. And then my career took me to working in a private school in Harrogate a number of years ago. And an opportunity arose where I got to go out to China for a short period to help to train native Chinese teachers of English. And at the time, I didn't speak a word of Chinese, but I was really excited at the opportunity to share my knowledge of teacher training and also to help these teachers to develop their skills and sort of learn a bit more about the pedagogy of teaching English as a foreign language. So whilst I was out there, I started to pick up some of the basics. And on my return to England a couple of years ago, I decided that actually it would be a real waste to just leave the Chinese learning there. So I've continued in a number of different ways to keep the Chinese going. And I've also had the opportunity in one of my schools to teach beginners Chinese to the year eight students, which has been really good fun, particularly given that my own Chinese is is not at all native level or nowhere near as strong as my French or Spanish or German. But actually, I think the children really appreciate the fact that I too, I'm learning alongside them. And uh, and so I think that gives them a bit of a confidence as well. Love that so much, Susie. Thank you for sharing your own challenges of learning Chinese. And, you know, I'm really curious because I think there's a bit of a unique opportunity that you have there that a lot of us as language educators don't, and that's to be picking up a, a new language while still teaching other languages. So um, while we'll definitely be hearing about your own Mandarin Chinese teaching, anything you can share of just how the experience of learning Chinese has actually influenced your teaching of your other languages. Yeah, I think it's always really good as a teacher of languages to put yourself in the position of the learner. So I think having studied French to degree level and beyond, when I'm teaching French, sometimes I think I probably forget how difficult it is as a beginner, you know, to master the pronunciation, to understand the, the difficulties of the grammar and some of the other challenges that maybe French or Spanish or German present. And obviously, with a language like Chinese, when I arrived in China in Yinshuan about two and a half years ago, I didn't speak a word of Chinese. And so I was relying on the teachers there to have a good level of English, which on the whole they did. But I think just being exposed day on day to Chinese, it was amazing within just a very few weeks how I picked up some of the words and I hadn't had any formal instruction, but I'd obviously worked out from the context. The tones in particular were really, really difficult, but I would sometimes spend my break times going out for a long walk with one of my friends or colleagues and they would just talk me through some new language or we'd go through the numbers or the colours. And I, I guess slowly I just picked up little bits here and there, which was, you know, I was really proud of myself because I think my focus when I was there was obviously to train these teachers and to help them with their English. But I think a positive aside was that I personally, you know, developed a really keen interest in in a new language. And um, and since then, I've obviously taken that a good bit further. Yeah, that's really inspiring, I think, Susie. Absolutely. I think that's in your character anyway, to always be challenging yourself. So uh, I'm not surprised you took on Mandarin Chinese as your as a new toy, but Why that's not? really, <laughs> really incredible. But I was just wondering when you were talking there about when you were first learning Mandarin Chinese, so have you got any sort of anecdotal stories? We heard earlier on in the podcast about um, a teacher that had worked in China and, uh, and an amusing story that she told about um, getting confused between the word ice and the word pancake. Have you got something similar? 
similar or a funny or maybe embarrassing story if you're happy to share of learning uh, Chinese or maybe getting something wrong and then learning from that mistake or what have you? I mean, I don't know that my Chinese was even good enough to know when I'd when I'd made any mistakes, to be honest. I think I was just kind of <laughs> threw myself into things and hoped for the best. But I do remember my friends back in England thought it was quite funny that I'd made a friend in the local shop. So there was a lovely lady called Mrs. Ma. And every evening I would go along and maybe pick up some groceries. And she had, you know, a very limited amount of English. I had a very limited amount of Chinese. And between us, we would use our telephones. We had the app WeChat, which is the kind of Chinese equivalent of Facebook. And thankfully, it has a translation function. And between us, for the first couple of weeks, we would use it to send messages backwards and forwards so that we could actually, you know, communicate. And I think you know, I made a really amazing friend of this lady. And yet we didn't share a language in common. But I think the technology obviously helped us to be able to share jokes, to laugh, to share our our shared experiences as as mums, as wives. You know, she was fascinated by the fact that my husband had allowed me to travel all the way to China <laughs> and leave him and the children behind back in York. Yeah, and just the differences in in her lifestyle and mine. It was it was really, really fascinating. And then obviously over time I managed to pick up some more language and you know, on occasions we could we could actually communicate using either Chinese or the little bit of English that I taught her, and that that was really lovely. And it's still someone that I'm very much in contact with, um, you know, through the power of technology, which is great. But I think the the other story probably is around when I was really proud of myself with um, how I picked up some vocabulary to do with food and drink items. And obviously, the food over there was very different to what I'm used to back home, but. As you say, in true Susie Buell style, I, I kind of threw myself into it and just thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to take myself off for dinner and I'm going to have a really good go at ordering what I think is going to be a kind of Chinese chicken meal with vegetables and rice. And I knew the Chinese for beer. And my meal arrived and it wasn't at all what I expected. <laughs> and it was actually quite nasty. But I remember thinking, do you know what? I've, I've ordered it and it, it is more or less what I ordered. It doesn't quite taste or look how I imagined it would. But, you know, I've, I've actually done it and I'm, I'm quite proud of myself. But um, I did then uh, tend to go off with friends when I ate in future just to make sure that, that what I ordered and, and what I thought I'd ordered were, the, were two of the same things. <laughs> well, if you, the beer showed up, you were at least uh, successful on the most important part, right, Susie? <laughs> exactly. Happy days. <laughs> you know, you, you talked about your amazing connection you were able to make with Mrs. Maud thanks to technology. Maybe that's a great kind of lead into other ways that you're using technology for both learning and teaching of Mandarin Chinese. Absolutely. Well, um, in terms of the teaching, I've been using a resource which was recommended to me, which is a Pearson textbook called Jinbu. I was given a, a sample copy and I, I picked up some workbooks. And there is a, a really amazing community of Chinese teachers or teachers of Chinese in the UK who I think predominantly are working with the British Council on the Mandarin Excellence Programme. And so a quick Google search really showed me that there was a wealth of resources already linked to this particular textbook that teachers had really kindly shared online. So that obviously cut my workload massively. But I think I am a keen user of technology. And so I think it, it was really important to me that I kept up my communication with my friends in China. And so any opportunity I had to sort of 
tap into them and ask them about different cultural things that were happening and things that I could maybe integrate into my lessons. And then obviously YouTube is another great resource. So I came across a, a really quirky Mandarin Chinese teacher called, um, his podcast is called Chinese with Mike. And his methods are quite unorthodox. He isn't a, a kind of standard, you know, kind of high school teacher. He teaches in his garage, which is set up as a classroom. And it's very verbal, quite fun, as I say, quite quirky. And it really appeals to me because I think my aim really was to try and improve my speaking and my listening, because I think the thought of trying to master the written aspects of Chinese, I think that's quite a way down the line. But he, you know, with these videos, it's obviously allowed me to access lessons in my free time so that when I'm turning up to my own lessons at school, I can ensure that, you know, my accent, my pronunciation is as accurate as possible. And actually, the children quite enjoy watching the videos at home in their free time, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I remember earlier on, you were talking about empathy. I think that's a really, really important point. As you said, putting your uh, yourself in the shoes of a, of a language learner. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about how the children reacted in your school in York now where you're teaching Mandarin Chinese to uh, the fact that they knew, let's say, you were one page ahead, you know, maybe not literally, but did you find that that empathy that you had with the students and they had with you, that that really formed a, a greater bond in your language learning journey, as it were? Yeah, I mean, we, we only have one lesson a week, so it really is a kind of taster, beginner's introduction to Chinese. So, you know, there's quite a gap between a lesson, you know, week on week, but it was really good to see that they shared my enthusiasm. And while I was in China, I'd, I blogged at polyglotlanguages.wordpress.com. And, you know, because I was seeing and smelling and tasting and hearing so many new and exciting things. And I think I wanted to communicate at the time with my friends and colleagues and obviously the family. So the best way to do that for me really was was to blog. So I have this resource where I could go back on there and show them photographs and show them some of the things that I ate. And I was out there for Chinese New Year, so I was able to show them some of the photographs and, you know, just how I lived my daily life and some of the, you know, some of the the fantastic things that happened to me and then some of the things where it was just really new and unusual. And I, th I think you're right. I think in terms of sharing my love of Chinese, I think that definitely came through. And the fact that I'm not an expert, I think initially I was quite nervous that I wasn't the expert because when I teach French or Spanish or, or my other languages, I always feel like I can deliver it all in the target language. And, and I, you know, no matter what question the students ask me, I always have the answer. Whereas in Chinese, it's not quite the same. But I think they were really, you know, they're really patient with me. And I think they just loved the fact that, you know, even at my age, I'd, I'd kind of taken the effort to go away and do something exciting like that. So, uh, so yeah, it's been a great experience. You mentioned earlier about sharing things online. I remember um, one of the most inspirational videos that I saw that you shared when you were in China was when you actually presented to a group of adults in Chinese. Can you maybe talk us through how that happened and then what it was like to learn your presentation off by heart and deliver it? I was really, really blown away when I remember seeing that, Susie. Yeah, I think I'd been in Yinchuan for about five weeks at that point. So, you know, very early on in my, my days in China. And as a surprise to the teachers and the students, I decided on a whim that I was going to give my end of year thank you speech in Chinese. So I managed to get one of my colleagues on board and she 
helped me to translate my speech from English into Chinese. And then we would spend our evenings and lesson, you know, when we when we didn't have lessons, just sort of practicing and going through it. And there was obviously the the medium of WeChat. So she recorded a version for me, which I could listen to over and over again. And then I took the version that she'd sent me and um, she'd really kindly written in Pinyin, which is the sort of anglicized way of pronouncing Chinese and so that obviously helped me massively and I I then adapted that slightly so that I what I heard on her recording you know made made sense to me and so after many many evenings of practicing we had an English evening with the students and the the teachers and um, they asked me to to get up on stage at the end of the evening and and yeah much to the surprise of everyone I delivered about a minute speech in in Mandarin Chinese, and I think you could hear a pin drop in the room. It was uh, it was amazing because I think obviously they'd they'd heard me speaking lots and lots of English around the school, and um, and some of the Chinese teachers knew that I'd been picking up words here and there. But I think for them to just see me standing there, inwardly feeling very very nervous, but you know just willing to have a go, and I think that was really inspiring probably for the students because for them to see that I hadn't been there very long but had managed to master you know a, a minute long presentation I, th- I think if, if nothing else it probably um, you know shows them how far they can go if they if they really just throw themselves into it. And Susie your just vulnerability and humility and, and willing to share that is I think really inspiring for listeners just on the benefits of risk-taking on our professional growth and you know, one of the things I hear you talking about there as well is when you're talking, going back to the technologies, is the, the technologies that you're talking about are things that are ubiquitous in other parts of the world, but that we're not necessarily using in some of the uh, more commonly taught languages. And so, you know, I'm curious if you have any sort of juxtaposition of some of the apps, some of the more language learning specific tools of uh, what things you're seeing compared to your French, German, uh, and Spanish resources to your Chinese teaching resources and learning resources. Yeah, I think when I was actually in Chinese, I expect the technology to be more prolific than it was. I expected it to be everywhere because you think of China and you think that that's where a lot of the technologies that we use are being created and developed. You know, certainly some of the mobile phone companies that we know and know of. But actually, I think in terms of the classroom, certainly the schools where I was teaching, the children all had mobile phones. But I think within their lessons, they weren't really particularly used. They were almost actively discouraged from having them in their lessons. So the teaching in China was very didactic. And I think when I arrived with my English methodologies and my English ways of teaching languages, I think initially I had to take a step back and almost pare down what I had perhaps planned to do when I was in England, because I think it would have been just too much for them, you know, just far too far removed from what they were they were used to. So in the first few lessons, we used, you know, some basic tools like um, just like mini whiteboards and, and marker pens and just getting the children into groups and pairs, which again was very alien to them. So I think if anything, when I was in China, I probably went back to a more teacher-led group work, pair work approach to to teaching and learning languages. But then when I came back to England and started to teach Mandarin Chinese to English children, that was when it was when I had more of an opportunity to use the school iPads to allow them to go onto YouTube, to access websites like iPanda, 
where there are lots and lots of ready-made resources that the children can access both in the classroom and at home, which means that when you only have a 40-minute lesson every week, you know, that extends the learning beyond that 40 minutes so that actually if they're really keen, which many of them were, you know that they're going to come back the following week and say, actually, Lao Shabul, I was online watching some more Chinese with Mike episodes or, you know, I went on to that Chinese website that you told me about and, uh, you know, picked up some more of the tones or some some new vocabulary. So I think we're probably better placed to use the technology here than in China. But having said that, it's a huge country. And so I, I only experienced the very far north and an island in the south called Xiamen. So it could be in other areas, maybe in the big cities, you know, maybe they are using technology a little bit more extensively than I saw. That's really great. And Susie, you mentioned the iPanda, as well as connecting with other teachers who had already created ancillary resources for the textbook you mentioned. And I'm really wondering just if you're noticing, speaking of juxtapositions, of just the kind of overweighted importance when you're teaching a language that you are still in the beginning stages of learning yourself, of having those kind of already created press play resources that you're able to get uh, from colleagues. Yeah, I think for me, that's really, really useful because I think when you are in the beginning of teaching any language, you know, I, I spent five years working with trainee teachers and I think most of your time is spent creating resources. So when there is a network of teachers that you can rely on who've already done a lot of the groundwork, it just makes your life so much easier because some of them I may have doctored and changed because my style of teaching Mandarin Chinese might be quite different to theirs. I, I tend to use lots of songs in my language teaching. I can't particularly sing myself, but I love to sing in my lessons. And so, you know, that was a really good way of getting the children excited about the language and perhaps other colleagues might not have taught in that way. So I, th I think I would recommend, you know, for anyone starting out with teaching Mandarin Chinese, you know, to, to do a really good online search and in a way that we have, you know, many Facebook groups for modern languages teachers, you know, there are equally Twitter hashtags and Facebook pages for teachers of Mandarin Chinese. I think I think we're quite a small but mighty force within the UK. But certainly, as I said earlier, it's not something that I ever thought I would see myself teaching. I always saw myself as a French teacher, you know, teaching maybe some Spanish and German on the side. But it just shows you that, you know, when you when you are a language teacher, I think sometimes these opportunities present themselves to you. And it's about having the courage to just say, do you know what, that sounds like a really exciting opportunity. I don't speak a word of Chinese. I've never been to China. But actually imagine the adventure that I could have and then imagine the stories that I can then bring back to England to tell my students to hopefully motivate them to want to learn Chinese just as much as I now do. Wow. Thank you so much, Susie. That's just a great way to finish, I think. Thank you so much for sharing all your your stories and your, your anecdotes and your reflections. I think, uh, as I said at the beginning, you're a true inspiration to the language teaching community. And I'm sure that the listeners will really enjoy hearing all about the different things that you've been doing and definitely the, the challenge of learning a new language as a language teacher and then how that's that had an effect on your your attitude moving forwards um, with your students and with other teachers. That's just so amazing that you've shared. Just sorry, I'm delighted that you've appeared on the podcast, Susie. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks again, Susie. Bye-bye. Bye now. Wow, Susie Buell, Joe Dale. I mean, that was just such a great Tech Talk interview. And I'm just so inspired by her humility, 
her risk-taking, her sharing about, you know, how the tech is not just for use with kids, but also her own growth, you know, and just collaborating with other people and not feeling a need to take it all on ourselves, that it's okay to use the amazing resources that colleagues have created. And my mind's just spinning, Joe. What'd you think? Yeah, I thought what Susie was saying was absolutely fantastic. I've known Susie personally for quite a few years now, over 10 years, I would say. And I think she is an inspiration, genuinely an inspiration. And I, lo- I love the way that um, she has this very sort of, you know, can-do attitude. And whenever she comes across any sort of challenging situation, she just normally just goes for it. And so when I knew that she was going out to to China and the fact that she decided to learn Mandarin Chinese, I just thought it was it was really, really amazing. And I also like the way that lots of things that she said in the interview as well were referring back to things that had appeared earlier on in uh, in episode 10. For example, she mentioned the Mandarin Excellence Project program and um, teaching Mandarin Chinese at primary level as well. It was mentioned by a couple of other people in the recording. So I think it fitted really, really well into uh, this episode. And I'm absolutely delighted, as I said, that she um, she agreed to appear uh, on the podcast. It was fantastic. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I, I think that there were just so many lessons from her. And, you know, for me, one of the biggest ones, especially for any of our listeners who are, you know, helping other adults, whether it's in training or whether you're teaching pre-service teachers, you know, that the story where she just really focused on meeting the needs of her learners, that she's there in China, she's prepared, probably did hours and hours on her PowerPoint, gets in the room and says, you know what, this isn't what you need. And she, at that point, a lot of us would have gone ahead with the PowerPoint because we spent six hours preparing it, right? But, you know, I think that there's something really important and valuable and impactful there to say, you know what, this isn't about me. This is about my learners. And so what? I spent six hours. Maybe I'll get to use it some other time. But for right now, we're going to scrap that and we're just going to get down dirty and, and meet your needs. And I thought that was just inspirational, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that comes with experience as well. And I think, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely inspirational. Great stuff. Well, speaking of inspirational, Joe, what do we have on tap to inspire listeners coming up in episode 11? Well, interestingly enough, no, in the next episode, we're going to be focused on games in the languages classroom. So obviously non-tech ideas, as we say in the introduction, the podcast is aimed at people interested in techie and non-techie ideas. And uh, the next episode is case in point. So we're going to be looking at sort of classic traditional games, things like Jenga, Connect Four, Trivial Pursuit, or battleships, those sorts of games, which are really good to encourage our learners to start speaking in the target language. And uh, a great way of also revising language, particularly at GCSE level, revising for the exam at the end of uh, year 11. So some great stuff to look forward to for sure. Awesome, Joe Dale. I know the non-techie side of my head is really excited to bust out both my six and 12-sided dice for this next episode. Uh, thank you again so much to our sponsor, Linguascope. Listeners, join us on each and every episode, 10 episodes. This is so cool. Thank you for joining us on this epic journey. We look forward to seeing you in episode 11. The MFL Twitterati podcast, celebrating the voices of the modern language teaching community. If you've enjoyed this episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast, please rate and review us on Apple's podcast app so more language teachers can find us. You can subscribe to the MFL Twitterati podcast on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For information, go to our podcast site, mfltwitteratipodcast.com, where there are lots of references to this episode's content and all the previous episodes too.